remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, Revelation in chapter number 3. We'd like to read verses 7 through 13 responsively this morning. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 7. Now we'll read the succeeding odd-numbered verses through verse 13. Would you read with me, please, the three even-numbered verses, beginning with verse number 8, verses 8, 10, and 12 in unison, please. That's, once again, it's Revelation chapter 3. And verses 7 through 13, and reading responsively. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have said before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and know that, thou, that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, out, and I will write upon the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Verse number 13, let's read it together. Ready? He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, take these, this somewhat familiar passage of Scripture to many a Christian and speak to our hearts afresh and anew again. Lord, we thank you, dear God, for your love to us. We thank you, Lord, for the, the blessings that you've been to our individual lives. And Lord, to, the, to this church, your church, we pray. And Lord, speak to, thy, speak to us through thy word, through your Holy Spirit of God this morning, we pray. May you receive all the honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Revelation chapter 3 this morning. This is our official missions conference Sunday. In regards to beginning a new calendar year or a new financial year for the next 52 Sundays for you that do Faith Promise cards and are participating. And I know for a number of people uh, it's brand new. And I know last year we did not have a conference, so we can no longer call it an annual conference. We've had 30-some conferences over the last 35-plus years or thereabouts. And uh, uh, we didn't have a conference last year, all things you know what, that happened last year, of course, and we're just getting back up and running now. But I want to thank you for your faithfulness, and, and uh, as missions go, so goes the church in many ways. And I want to talk about a missionary church this morning here. And, uh, okay, beautiful. I'm a little nervous this morning for you that know me here. This is the first time in, uh, I can count on one hand the number of times I've done PowerPoint in my entire life. And uh, last time I did it was like seven years ago. And Brother Lucio Gallo, he's preaching just down the street this morning here. He said, preacher, he says uh, in his uh, Spanish, you can do this. And uh, he says, I don't know, it's uh, out of my wheelhouse. And uh, so I'm a little uh, 
mechanical. In fact, I have my, my sheets, <laughs> full disclosure, I have my sheets right here. Uh, Lucio says I need to buy an iPad. I'm so archaic. I, I didn't hardly know what an iPad even is. But uh, I guess I'm getting an iPad and going to learn how to try to do this here. I feel like a first grader uh, going to geometry class in 10th grade. And uh, it's just it's hard for me. I mean, some of you are laughing at me, especially the techie people in this room here understand. But we'll do the best we can. Our verse this morning here and. And it's on purpose, I want to deal with this church at Philadelphia for hopefully, as you'll see in the next few moments, obvious reasons. It says, I know thy works, verse 8 of Revelation 3. Jesus is speaking. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. I want to deal this morning with the, the church at Philadelphia, a church with a little strength, in a large, large world. Let's make our prayer once more, if we could. Heavenly Father, I need your help this morning, Holy Spirit of God. Lord, there's a lot of things I'd like to say, but only some things, some things I should say for time's sake. So Lord, help me. Guide my lips. I need your help, I pray, dear God. And Lord, I know it's not, this is not a performance, but Lord, it's meant to preach your word and your power and the Holy Spirit of God. So I, I yield myself to thee this morning and pray that Lord, you use this eternal word to speak to our hearts, we pray. Once again, we'll thank you for what you're going to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The church in Philadelphia, there were several things about this church I want you to know about in the way of introduction this morning. Verse 7, and notice we begin our introductory thoughts. And the angel, that's the pastor of the church, the shepherd of the church, and he's addressed in seven, six other times in the seven churches of Asia Minor, as we'll see in a few moments here as we uh, chronicle these, these real live churches. The angel of the church at Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, and he that hath the key of David. Of course, that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, he that is true. And I want you to know this, this morning that this church at Philadelphia, we're going to liken it to our home church here in a few moments here, but it was a standing church. They stood for him that is true. And uh, this, I want you to know, along with this fact that this was a standing church, this was a literal, physical, local, visible, have I used all the adjectives, local New Testament assembly in Asia Minor. This was a church, maybe we have a humble crowd this morning here, but this is a church that maybe uh, would uh, have be much smaller. We don't know the size of it, but we dare say it was a smaller church. It was a first century New Testament church, and in uh, this pioneer of this, this New Testament early days of the church in the years about 85, 90 AD. And uh, it was a persecuted church, but it was a standing church. It was a real church. I want you to know that. Not only was it a standing church, but verse number eight, it was a, or it's verse seven again, it was a solid church. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, it's built on a sure foundation of him that is true, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that had the keys to the kingdom of, king, kingdom of David. Of course, he came to the Jews first and also to the Greeks, and it was a solid church. The Bible says, on Christ the solid rock, I, or rather, 1 Corinthians 3.11, for other foundation can no man lay than it's laid, which is Jesus Christ. And the only foundation you can lay your life on, the only foundation that there's salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And I want you to know that if you're, not, if you're here and you're not saved, you need to receive Christ as your Savior and get a sure foundation. This church was built on a sure foundation. It was a solid church because it was built on the preaching and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I want you to know, not, so not only was it a standing church, a solid church, but then verse 7, the latter part of the verse one more time, 
He that, the Bible says this church has a, uh, is true. It's, it has the keys of David. It can reach Jews as well as Gentiles. He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Once you know this church was ascending church. Ascending church. Matthew 24, verse 14, and you'll get the parallel hopefully in a couple, three minutes. But Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And I want you to know that six, six or seven churches of Asia Minor, this church in Philadelphia, was the great missionary sending churches. We're going to find out in the next slide, please. Uh, let me make sure we're on the same page. Look at that. That's wonderful. They're doing that from up here. Lucio does that right on his iPad here. But anyhow, I'll get there someday. Maybe, maybe we'll see. But dispensationally speaking, and just for the record, and I do this very crash course in 10 seconds. You study this for years in Bible college. If you go to the seminary or Bible college, God works in different dispensations, different time periods, or different, different ways and different periods of time. And we're in this age of the church, known as the church age. If you know your Revelation, if you know Revelation 2 and 3, there's seven literal churches of Asia Minor that are mentioned. And they're on the map there, of course, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and of course Laodicea at the end of Revelation 3. And this six of seven churches, I'm reading from the worksheet now, this Philadelphia church in Revelation is representative of the time period of history, being good dispensationalists and uh, I don't want you to take total stock in this, and I don't have time to explain all the nuances of dispensationalism, but uh, when you see all these things come to pass, the Bible says, look up for your redemption, draweth nigh. There's a time period. God's on a calendar. God's on a, just like that clock is ticking back. No, it's not ticking. It's broken back there on the wall. But anyhow, uh, your clock is ticking. God's on a time clock, and God's, God knows exactly when he's coming, of course. And this, this, we believe this time period of human history was about 1741 to 1925, this age of uh, church history that is representative of the Philadelphia church. And this, uh, and July 8th, I remember I was teaching, uh, talking to the 815 crowd, and we had a humble crowd, but we had some teenagers here. And I picked on the teenagers. I remember in public school back in the 1960s, as an elementary kid, learning in public school about the first great awakening of our country. You talk about the Great Awakening in a, in a, with educated adults, college-educated adults in America. They have no clue what you're even talking about. And uh, July 8, 1741 is the mark date in Anfield, Connecticut. We used to be Massachusetts. Jonathan Edwards from Northampton, Massachusetts, preached that famous message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was said that over 1,000 New Englanders, 1,000 Enfieldites and folks around came to know Christ as Savior within the first day of that pre preaching. And it was the outbreak of the great, first great awakening of our country. Over 100,000 people were saved throughout the colonies in the next several years, of course, in this period of these, the first great awakening. And this, this kind of the outset of a new dispensational age of time. And if we go to the next slide for time's sake, and... Uh, Rapid fire here, and I can't do this justice, but we believe that there's seven dispensational ages of the church. The first century church was represented by the church at Ephesus, and that's obviously you see the years there in front of me. I'm not going to read all in front of you. I'm not going to read them all for time's sake. Smyrna, the age of persecution, 313 is when Constantine overthrows the 
uh, becomes the new emperor of Rome, of course, and uh, ushers in uh, the marriage of the mixture of a, a, a so-called Christian church and a pagan church. We know this as the universal church, and I'll let you read between the lines. I can tell you who that is. Most of you know who I'm talking about. But uh, the popery as it comes to fruition in the church of Pergamus and uh, Pergamum, and then, of course, the church of Thyatira, what we know of is, and I'm doing very fast, rough numbers here, the thousand years of, dis, uh, of the, what's known as the Dark Ages is represented by the Church of Thyatira. The Church of Sardis is 1519, October 31st is the famous date where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the Castle Door of Wittenberg Church and thus began the official Protestant Reformation, of course, in the period of time that we know of until about 1740s, 1750s, thereabouts. And then we get to the Missionary Era, which was now, we believe, is past. We got on a worksheet, or rather on a screen, it says 1900. I have a more specific date, 1925. Many of you have been down to Manhattan, New York, of course, and you've been maybe past the Riverside Church in Manhattan. It's one of the 10 most famous churches in American folklore, American history. And there was a famous preacher by the name, he was an infidel. His name was Harry Emerson Fosdick. He preached into the middle 1960s. He preached for like 45 years. He coined the term, he, he coined it of himself and of people that were intellectual and, and smart and, and uh, believed in science and so forth, and he termed the term modernist and in, regard, in regards to the theological uh, belief system. And he was, it was a reaction against fundamentalists, against a reaction against evangelicals or people that believe the Bible in the 1920s and 19-teens and so forth. And, and uh, it began this modern era, and it ended what we believe is the church in Philadelphia, and it gets to the last church that we read about in Revelation 3, which is the church of this modern era that we are currently living in, the church of Laodicea, which is a lukewarm church, this last period of time before the Lord comes back, and, uh, and uh, I think we're in the Laodicean days. Now, I just want to qualify, next slide please, for we can be a Philadelphia church in a Laodicean age, I want you to know that. We can be a church that's on fire for God in a uh, retired, in a you know, ungodly world. In this Philadelphia church, I want you to know on this Missions Conference Sunday, designated start date for our Missions Conference year, was a missionary-minded and sending church. Right in our backyard, I mean, Torringtonites and New Hartfordites don't even know this ourselves, let alone the Connecticut, let alone the world. Forgotten history in American history, but we have right just a mile down the road, the Apostle Paul of America walked these, walked these roads, Sammy J. Mills. He turned the world upside down with the gospel. He and Harvey Loomis, right on 183. It's hard to imagine. He, Harvey Loomis died in a pulpit in Bangor, Maine, at the age of 37, I believe he was, and uh, preached and died in the pulpit as he was preaching. And he lived right on 183. Lyman Orange, these are famous names, and you get the Torian history book, you read about these guys, about 100 pages of the 700 page. Uh, in history book will read, read about these guys. So nobody reads history any longer, but, but they started the great, the Haystack Five. I've told the story many times, 1806, August 6, 1806. It should be a date marked in history like, the same as July 4, 1776. But it's just another date now. It's the date of August 6, I believe, was the, the flood of Connecticut as well. And people know that, but they in 55, but they don't know about 1806. But uh, we began the great missionary movement in America, and we the sending of Adam Judson and the Luther Rice and the five missionaries, and we have a picture in our downstairs hallway in the Hall of Missions in regards to the famous 
launching of the, the five missionaries that went off from Salem, Massachusetts, and it was known in all the colonies. Every paper in, in America had front-page headlines, the sending of the five American missionaries as the modern-day mission movement got started. And we had a great time of revival. This is, includes the second great awakening in our country, and this is, this is for record. And I just learned this myself to my shame. I knew that we were the hotbed of the second great awakening, i.e. circa about 1795 to 1801. Let me slow down and let me just side pass. Let me just tell you some history. We had a famous preacher that preached in New Hartford, Connecticut, right on Town Hill Road. That church is, the, the foundation is still there, the bell's there. Somebody know where I'm talking about, up under the curve. Right on Town Hill Road. Edwin Griffin preached there. You say, who's Edwin Griffin? Well, again, lost in history. If you go to Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts, go to their three-story high uh, art museum. It's world-renowned. It's famous. It's, it's an Ivy League wannabe school. And you, when you walk into the foyer of the, the, uh, the college there, Williams College, you'll see the picture of Edwin Griffin, a big photo, photograph. He was the president of a college in Trenton. He was a famous preacher. preached right here in New Hartford, Connecticut. And 400, this is 1795, over 400 New Hartford residents. How many people lived in New Hartford in 1795? Probably about 400. And 400 New Hartford residents came to know Christ as Savior and gave a testimony of Christ. And the youth group right here from four miles away, right just here, just, just to, my, to my, my right, your left here, of course, uh, a mile away, 183, was a sister church. And, and 17 Mills preached for 64 years. Daddy Mills preached there for, and, and um, had a friend, an associate from Litchfield, Connecticut, of Harriet Beecher Stowe, and we know that name. And John Y. Brown we could talk about. We, the history goes on and on and on, and I've got to get back on subject here. But this sending church, this mission-minded church of the 19th century representative in churches in America, that the Second Great Awakening was sparked right here in New Hartford, Connecticut, and we don't even know about it today. The New Hartfordites don't even know about it alone in the world, but it's true. And so I want you to notice the church at Philadelphia, next slide please, was a standing church, a solid church, it was a sending church, it certainly was a soul winning church. It had an open door open to it. The Lord said, I know thy works. And I open a door that no man can shut. There's a parallel passage of 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Paul talks about a wide open door in Macedonia and Achaia uh, to the farther west of uh, the map that we just saw, what we know of today as modern-day Upper Greece, and the wide-open door of evangelism. Hey, you know, this has been a rough year and a half. We all know that as an understatement of the day for sure. Last year was the year we all wanted to forget, but now we're in 2021. We may want to forget 2021 now. Who knows, you know? But, uh, you know, some things have come out of this year, this last year and a half, that I've never seen before. Have you noticed uh, all the commercials for the last year or so on Okay, on the Fox News station, I see, I see that on uh, where Franklin Graham is giving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in one minute. Michael Youssef is giving the gospel of Christ, inviting folks on national television to receive Christ as their Savior. I don't ever do it. I've done one meeting. I've done one Zoom meeting or two Zoom meetings, I guess, in my life now. We have something called the Internet that's been around for a little while now. We have something called Facebook that we all love and adore. Excuse me, some of us do. Some of you do, and I don't, but that's another story. But we have plenty of ways to get the gospel out around the world. And the Lord says that, that, that uh, we, see, we see this church in Philadelphia had a vision to get the gospel out to the whole world. 
Then I want you to get to the crux, the truths of the passage, one, two, three, four, real fast here, and I'm glancing at the time here. I'm still in the introduction. Hang on, we'll get done soon enough. But verse number nine, and still in way of introduction, four truths of the passage I want you to know about. Look at verse nine again. Behold, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not. Not everyone that says they are a Jew are a spiritual Jew. Not every, not every Jew is a child of God. In fact, many are not, sadly. That's not a racist statement, a, 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 a bigoted statement. It's just a statement of truth. Uh, Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. And I want you to know that one day, truth number one of four truths in the body of the passage of Scripture before us, real Christians will one day be known. Isaiah 49 and verse number 23. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their faces toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for, I am, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. I know I shouldn't get off tangent, but let me just give you a quick vivid illustration. I've had this problem in my life. I've always liked sports. And it's a problem today in this new uh, uh, BLM area that we live in, this new uh, world that we live in, of course, and everything is politically correct, but uh, the NFL draft was this past week. I'm done with the NFL, but I couldn't help but turn on the TV a little bit and watch a little bit of the draft. Like, it's it's part, part of me. I know it's bad. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but some of you do know what I'm talking about. And the man worship, the, 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 the worship of idolatry is found in the sports world. It's found in the Hollywood world. It's found in some cases in the political world. And people almost bow down and worship these people as idols, as gods and goddesses. I want you to know one day God says, those of the synagogue are saying, they'll bow down and they'll worship. And they'll say, you were right. One day, Christians will be known to be right. And thank God for that truth. And verse number 10, the second truth of the passage, it says in verse number 10, because thou hast kept my word, kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee, very key phrase, verse 10, the middle of the verse. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. The hour of temptation is a metaphor for the seven-year tribulational period of time period that the Revelation and Daniel and Zechariah and several other Old Testament passages allude to. The rapture, the catching away, 1 Thessalonians 4, is near. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 10, the church at Thessalonica was a good church, and the Lord said to them, and to wait for his son from heaven. I've been waiting for a lot of years now. I've been waiting for over 50 years now that I've been a Christian whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, key, key phrase, from the wrath to come. There's coming a day, and this, it's so crystal clear for Christians. There's coming a day, there's coming a catching away. And every Christian will be raptured out of this world. It's happening, it's going to happen. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Bible says, for this cause God has them a strong delusion. There's many people that that uh, don't believe in the rapture. They mock it. They, 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 they make fun of it. They, they laugh at it. When it happens, I believe many of them will they'll, they'll, they'll receive a strong delusion. They'll continue to laugh at it. They'll continue to mock it as they go into the great tribulation, the hour of temptation, to which I'm not planning. We're going to be delivered from that wrath to come. 
We're not going to be a part of that. This world's going to be, you, you say, how bad will it be? I'm glad I didn't live during World War II, during the Nazi Holocaust in Europe, in Poland. I, I don't know what it would be like to be a Jew at that time. Six million went to the extermination chambers. I dare say, and I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this, I think the seven-year tribulation will make the Nazi Holocaust of World War II look like a Sunday school picnic. The rapture is near. Then I want you to notice third truth, number three, verse number 11. I'm trying to hurry in case you haven't figured it out. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast. But behold, I come quickly. I want you to know that the return of Christ is next. You say, preacher, isn't that redundant? And we just talked about the rapture being near. But I refer to this in the context. It would come quickly. It would be in a, a tamas, in a ramos, in a, in a split second. It will come at any moment. There's a doctrine of imminence in the Bible. Now, Jesus didn't come last year. He didn't come 100 years ago. He didn't come 1,000 years ago. He didn't come 1,500 years ago. But the, the Bible teaches the doctrinal truth that at any moment, Jesus could come. The next event on God's time calendar is the is the coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds to catch away his bride. And he says, behold, I come quickly. Three verses at parallel. In fact, if you look at the text, look at verse number 8, verse number 9, and verse number 11. You'll find three times you find the word behold. The word means behold means listen up. Pay attention. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Listen up. God's trying to give you a code, code language here. If you're smart... Behold, listen up, I'm, going to, I'm coming quickly at any moment. And it's the next event on God's time, prophetic time calendar. In fact, Revelation 22, 7, 12, and 20, let me read them as quickly here as we can. Behold, no pun intended, I'm reading it quickly. <laughs> Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he, happy is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Revelation 22, 12, this is the last chapter of Holy Writ, the last chapter of the Bible. And behold, Jesus says, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Next slide here, of course. Revelation 22 and verse 20. Two, two verses left in the Holy Scriptures. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Even so come, the prayer is, come, Lord Jesus. And so the return of Christ is next. And fourthly, the fourth truth of the passage, and then we'll get to the, the, the message here. I want you to know that the verses 11 and 12 the time to work, the Bible says, he that overcometh, verse number 11b, behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, as no man take thy crown. There's time to work because there's a reward day coming. There's a time to work now. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me, for the night cometh when no man can work. The day is coming when work is going to be over. So what's the key phrase? I'm finally to the message proper. Hang on. I'll, let me look into my time. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm hurrying. The key phrase, notice, go back to verse number 8, and let me slow down for a moment. I know thy works. Behold, listen up, pay attention. I have said before thee an open door, church in Philadelphia, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. That phrase, little strength, many years ago intrigued me. I studied it in some detail. It's a little strength. It comes from two Greek words. You know them both. The word little is the word, anybody want to guess? Micra. We get our word micron or micro, of course, from. And it's the word little. And the word strength 
It also is translated power. It's the word, and you know the word too, it's, we get dynamite from it. It's the word dunamis, micro dunamis. It's a little strength. That's a little strength. It's not speaking of inward strength, but of outward power and authority. We don't have much of that. We don't have much outward power. You know, there was 5,000 people at the state capitol building on Tuesday. I understand a number of our members, thank you for going. I wish I could have gone, but I had to go to Rhode Island, as a matter of fact, and, and see Brittany, of course. And uh, so my day was taken up on Tuesday. But 5,000 people said, we don't want, we want to have the right to, to decide whether we want our kids vaccinated or not. We don't want the government to take control. And by vote of 22 to 14, the state senate of Connecticut, of course, steamrolled it through. And after 16 hours of debate, there wasn't a debate, it was long party lines for the record. And uh, they said, these Christians don't want to have, they want to have their own rights. Well, we'll, we'll see, this. we're going to steamroll them. They don't even care what we think. We have little power. Between the power between Marty Schott and Ned Lamont, there's a wide gap. The huge wide gap. I want you to know that uh, we don't have power in this world. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, 4.13, the Bible says, Paul said, being defamed, we entreat. Paul, the greatest apostle maybe that ever lived, he was hated. He was despised. Defamation, character defamation. We are made the filth of this world. Who cares about a little old Harvest Baptist Church? Who cares about fill in the blank with the Abundant Life Baptist Church in Naugatuck. I was with the pastor yesterday at the wedding. We are the offscouring of all things unto this day. This church in Philadelphia had a little strength. What kind of strength are we talking about? They're talking about not the strength of this world. We don't have that type of strength. We are despised. But First John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I may not have political power, I may not have uh, sports power, athletic power, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't have Hollywood power, power, don't want it. I don't have uh, um, uh, medical power. Or, or I'm not a Dr. Fauci or anybody like that. I don't, people don't listen to me in regards to medicine. But my power does not come from myself. Zechariah 4, verse 6, and our power does not come from ourselves. Not by, my, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We have a, the church of God that the gates of hell should not prevail against. And, and Acts 17, 6, the Bible says, this humble first century church, these are they that have turned the world upside down with the gospel. And so I want to talk this morning here in the, the moments that we have left here. And I, for the third time and last time, I'll try to say I'm hurrying. I want you to consider a little strength in a large world. A little strength in a large world. The word I've used, I've coined, uh, I haven't coined it, I've been using it for the last year or so. I feel like every day we're being tsunamied. I feel like every day I'm being avalanched. You know, I make almost the same mistake every day in my life. Here's what I do. I read my Bible every day. And uh, I'm reading my Bible through two times this year for whatever that means. And uh, I read it every day and I, have, I try to have my morning devotions every morning. That's a good thing to do. After I get done with my morning devotions, I do a very bad thing. I turn on my radio in my car, and I listen to the news, and I immediately spiral downhill, go, everything I just learned in, about God and so forth and his word. I just, no. 
is I, I realized we're getting tsunamied and whacked. I, I wrote the legislature two weeks ago on a certain, I can't even remember what I wrote them on. I could tell, tell you about it, but it's then tomorrow being something different, something, something new that's attacking us. We can't keep up with it. I feel like what are we among this vast, you know, what are we against Jeff Bezos or Zuckerberg or what are we against uh, the, the media complex or the, the political complex of our world? We got a little strength, a little micro dunamis, just a, just a speck of human power. But that's not where our power comes from. And so I want to give you this morning here five truths here, and this is the message proper, as I like to call it. I want you to know that I want you to consider this morning, first of all, this morning, a little strength in a large world. I want you to consider a little church for a minute, a little church. Bible says, so I won't read verse 7 and 8 again, but the Philadelphia was the church of Philadelphia was a humble church. Jesus said to 12 disciples in Matthew 16, 18, and they messed up. They, later on, after he said that, just a few months later, they would all forsake him and leave. Peter would say, I go fishing. Many of you know the story. But Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Pardon me, I just had an emotional thought. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, I'm okay. I think I'm okay now. Uh, my emotional thought, let me just interject it. Uh, I remember going to the bank 25 years ago. No denomination, independent church. We broke ground, I don't bore you with this story, many of you heard this a hundred times. We broke ground in this building, this facility, $5 million for the property we have, with no money in the bank, no, no, no mortgage. When I went to the bank, every bank in west of Mississippi rejected us, and that's pretty close to the truth. I went to the bank in Torrington, and I'll never forget that vice president of the bank, back in those days, he actually sit down with somebody and talk with somebody, and we had a model of our church building. And he says, I want to see how fast I can tear this. This is what the banker said. I want to see how fast I can tear down this steeple and turn your building into an office complex in case you go under. Well, I got news for you. I got news for him 25 years later. We didn't go under. His bank's gone under three times. His bank now is uh, Chipotle. Some of you know. And so, little church, we're still going. There's a little group of people in Acts 1. I did do this quick, quickly here just for the record. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. The Lord, they, the first church had to be Baptist. You know how I know that? They counted heads and they, 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 they fudged their numbers because Acts 1.15 says there's about 120. That means there's about 118, 119, 115, whatever it was. They fudged numbers. There's about 120. But they counted everybody that breathed. Ladies, don't get mad at me. They counted the women also. That was big news. That was huge, big news. It really was. And I, from that humble beginning, we have those that we could chronicle the Acts history, and these are they that turned the world upside down with the gospel. Those five boys, three from Torrington, Connecticut, Torrington, Connecticut, underneath that haystack in August 6, 1806, they said, hey, why don't we, why don't we launch out in the deep and give ourselves to be missionaries around the world? And Harvey Loomis said, no way, Jose, we can't do it. And uh, he wouldn't even pray. 
four of the five prayed that were actually there at the haystack that day, and they turned the world upside down to the gospel, as we're going to find out. Little as much when God is in it. And so I want you to consider the little church. And secondly, this morning, I want you to consider not only a little church, but a little place. We, won't, we don't have the map up again, but Philadelphia was a little place in Asia Minor, a little town prone to earthquakes. There were three recorded earthquakes in the first century that, that devastated the town and, and, and just ruins are found there today, of course. The church of Thessalonica to the west, a, little, a couple hundred miles to the west, what we know of today is modern-day Upper Greece, Macedonia. So the church of Philadelphia, from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. You know, I know we're a little church, and I, uh, when I look back in the mission board, I always have the advantage of looking straight on. You guys have to turn your necks 180 degrees. But I, I, and I used Rick Simonson last week. I'll use him again. He's in Kenya. He's been there. Rick and Sue have been there for over 30 years. I think I can honestly say, I dare say when we get to heaven, that we will meet not hundreds, not thousands, but I dare say we'll meet tens of thousands of Kenyans that came to know Christ as Savior as a result of the ministry of Rick and Sue Simonson, one of 40 or 50 missionaries who we supported in these last three plus decades. Over a million plus dollars we've given to missions. Our little way of holding the rope a little bit longer. And, uh, and when we get to heaven, our little efforts, our, our humble efforts will be made known that it was, we'll receive dividends from now until eternity future in regards to God's blessings because we gave a little bit now in a little place, in a little place called Philadelphia, in a little place called Thessalonica, a little place called Nazareth, a little place called Bethlehem, a little place called New Hartford, Connecticut. God can do, do great, great things that we, we know not. So God can use a person with a little, a church with a little strength, a little human strength, with a lot of inner strength from the Holy Spirit of God in a little place, a little place called New Hartford, Connecticut. And then thirdly, quickly, consider this. There, I said that word again quickly. I'm sorry. <laughs> a little faith. Just a little faith. You know, I'm confessing my sins. I got many of them. Uh, the older I get, you'd think, you know, I've walked by faith for many years. Spouses, before we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm a pastor. You know, I, I'm required to walk by faith. We, walk, we marched out here 24 years ago now. We put our shovels on the ground with no money, and as they say, the rest is history. We had faith. We, I could tell you story after story after story. We launch out in the deep. You'd think I'd be an expert in faith now. I want you to know the older I get, the harder it is to have faith. I now try to think with my intellect, which is a dangerous, dangerous position to be in. And, uh, but God's told us to walk by faith. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, that's pretty small. You shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Little faith. God give us a little bit of faith. You know, one day we exercise faith, many of you in this room, hopefully all of us here, I don't know, but... You said, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve, deserve to pay for my sins myself in a place called hell. But by faith, as a child, I ask that you please come into my heart. Be my savior. Take me to heaven when I die. Make me a child of God. And instantaneously, your eternal destiny was changed from hell forever and ever and ever to heaven forever and ever and ever on a simple childlike prayer of faith. 
By, we live by faith. We walk by faith. God told us to have a little bit of faith and we could remove mountains. And Sammy G. Mills said underneath that haystack for the third time, he said, we can do it if we will. And the rest is history. Sadly, many people have forgotten history. But then we go on to the fourth truth. Fourth thing to consider a little strength in a large world in regards to not only a little church, a little place, a little faith, but how about a little stand? A little stand. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, verse number eight again, it says, Thou hast kept my word and hast not denied thy name. You know, there's a lot of churches, a lot of Christians that are denying, not keeping his word any longer. I've said it many times, so I'll say it again. I, I, and there's nothing wrong with a preacher that's funny. I'm not. We all know this. There's nothing wrong with a preacher that's eloquent. I, I love eloquent preachers. I'm not, and we all know this. There's nothing wrong, and pray for me that I can deliver a good message here and, uh, and be eloquent from time to time, which is would have to be a God thing for sure. It's not from my own self, but the power is not in charisma. The power is not in, in performance. The power is not in... Our personal product, the power is from above, is from God Almighty. And I want you to know that we need to keep his word. We can be faithful to his word no matter what. And God's called us to be faithful to his word and not deny his name. Jesus is still the answer, I'm trying to tell you this morning. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name in heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Take a stand, Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Boy, we're living in a day of evil. And having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Take a little stand. Number four. Before we get to number four, A and B real quickly. A little stand against apostasy. We're living in the Laodicean age. We're living in the day of apostasy. In the end times, I'm not going to read the verses for sake of time, but the Bible tells us, just paraphrasing Jude 3, we need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered for the saints. By the way, we don't need to rewrite the Word of God. We just need to reread it. The Word of God is given to us. It's complete now, and it's, it's preserved for all eternity, and we just need to reread it and believe it and, and uh, practice it. Jesus said in Matthew 24, When the Lord comes, will he find faith on the earth? We're going to apostasy even in our churches. We need to stand against apostasy, but then we need to stand against letter B on the worksheet. We need to stand against apathy. Glance at verses 15 and 16 of the chapter, please. I know thy works. Uh, it's not on the screen here. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot, because uh, our lukewarm neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The lukewarm church... We're living in a day of apathy. Romans chapter 3, verse 11. And knowing, and that knowing the time. Do you know the time? You say, yeah, yeah, preacher, it's 12, it's 11.39 right now. <laughs> and uh, uh, do you know the time? No, I'm not talking about the time of the day, but the, the time of the season. That now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's not time to, and I, I say this very carefully, let me, slow down and modify my words, make sure I don't say something I'll regret. COVID's knocked, locked, locked, or rather COVID has knocked a lot of people out of church. That's the understatement of the day. Church attendance in America, Pew Research, all-time low, statistical low. I mean, I, I hate to be 
negative. I don't want to be negative. I see a lot of green this morning here. The day when we didn't see green, we see, I remember those days when we had to have 40 cars parking in the lower level parking lot because we were so packed. And uh, we had to have several different church facilities going around because people were hungry for the word of God and for the house of God. Not so much anymore, it seems like. But now it's the time of retirement for a lot of Christians. I know, listen, I'm getting older. I feel the aches and pains. I know I'm only in my 60s. I'm a young guy still. (laughs) But uh, I'm getting there, that's for sure. Getting there faster than I thought I'd get there too, as a matter of fact. But I don't want to retire on God. The day may come when I can't come to the house of God, and we have some good dear saints that can't come to God's house. But I want to stay on the firing line until Jesus comes. So we need to have a little stand. And then lastly, this morning here, in regards to a little strength in a large world, we have just a little time. I want you to consider the time. A little time, first of all, to witness. Jesus said in John 4, 35, Say ye not there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. We've got a little time to witness. You know, the ground in Connecticut, I'm not making excuses, I think it's as hard as it's ever been, spiritually speaking, to reap souls. Don't want to make excuses. But I was reminded just yesterday, as a matter of fact, at the reception of the Great Revival, I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I appreciate I was talking to Pastor Burns. And uh, he told me about the Great Revival that's been taking place in northern Nigeria, in Muslim Nigeria. Thousands of people have been getting saved. I get uh, Ed, Edward Frigali's prayer letter. Some of you know that name, a handful of you do. Missionary to the, to the Muslims, Muslim countries, and of course, Iran, a Shia or a Sunni country, I can't remember which, but it matters not. You never hear it, it doesn't even make Fox News. Salvation of Iranians coming to know Christ as Savior. They're having a revival in some places in these underground churches. Not so much in gospel laden, gospel hardened New England and America, I'm afraid. But we have a little time to witness. God still says the field is widened to harvest. A little time to witness. Letter B, we have a little time to walk. That's with, walk with who? Walk with the Lord and with this church. Don't tell me, let me preach for the first time in maybe this 40 minutes here. Don't tell me you love the Lord when you don't love his church. Don't tell me you, don't love, the, you love the Lord when you don't love his people. Don't tell me you love the Lord when you don't want to come to God's house. I'm so sick and tired and fed up, and they're not here to hear it anyhow, so I'll just say it. Many people that are, many Christians, and so-called Christians, and maybe real, real Christians, say, I'm done with church. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Join the crowd. We're all a bunch of hypocrites saved by the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our lives. Now's the time to walk with the church as never before, that we be not ashamed of him at his appearing, the Bible says. So just a little, we have a little time to walk, a little time to witness, a little time to let her see on a worksheet. A little time to witness, a little time to walk, a little time to work. We've already looked at John 9, 4. And uh, I want to give you the postulate that, that this ministry that we're in, this, this ministry of evangelism and discipleship and so forth, it's not a 100-yard dash, it's a marathon. It takes a lifetime to develop a Christian, to, to, to mature a Christian. And God's call us to uh, gut it out to the end. God's called us to keep on serving the Lord even when it's, it's tough to serve the Lord. And lastly, this morning, and it's a little time to witness, a little time to walk, a little time to work, but this church 
It's reminded over and over again, three times, behold, 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 I come quickly. A little time to wait. Jesus said, when you see all these things come to pass, look up for your redemption, draweth nigh. And with the last illustration, we're done this morning. I, it happened yesterday with Pastor Burns. I know I'm judging. I know I'm qualifying, but every spiritual Christian, in my estimation as a spiritual Christian, every spiritual, highly spiritual Christian, I've not met one in the last year or so that doesn't talk about the soon coming of the Lord, that the Lord's coming has got to be nearer than ever before. The world is going into la-la land. The world is drinking the Kool-Aid. And they think we're drinking the Kool-Aid. The world is crazy. The world is masked up, and they're not messiahed up. They're not, the world is uh, all about vaccines, and we're all about uh, uh, going to heaven one day forever and ever and ever, and God's on the throne, and this world's going to come to an end one way or another. And all, all, all about fear, fear of the wrong thing. We, we have the fear of God. Here is a church. They had a little strength in this world. They had a little human strength, a little physical strength. They were, they were off-scaring. They were hated. But in God's eyes, they were, they were a church that had internal strength. They, had this, they, had the right, they were grounded on the solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were a standing church, a soul-winning church, an ascending church. Until he comes again, maybe be a ascending church. And when we get to heaven, we'll be able to say it was worth it all to be faithful to the Lord. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray this morning that you might speak to Christian hearts. It's been a message for Christians, for the rope holders. Lord, it's beginning our missions year. Lord, we've got to send, uh, we've, got to, we've got to, with our monies, we have to support our missionaries so they can get around the world. We pray for the Patrick Guerin family. We pray for the Lucio Gallo family. We pray for our missionaries, Lord, in uh, Australia and South America and South Africa and North America and Russia and Europe, around the world today, dear God. Be with them. Keep them on the field, dear God. May they have fruit for their labor. And, Lord, it will be a fruit that will bond to our account. Help us to keep on being faithful, Lord. Help us to, to keep on witnessing, keep on walking with you, keep on waiting, Lord, keep on working until you, we hear the, 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 the trump, of, trump and the shout. We look forward to being with you, Lord. Maybe there's someone here who needs to be saved today, Lord. How to do a work of grace, and, and Lord, in these moments together, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Let's all stand. Page two it is. Page two in the hymn book.